was watching Ben Chilwell pull his hamstring and then carried the tunnel and he was practically dead yeah that's when he had passed away like that, that word was used oh, it's, a, it's a tragedy subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app the football show on off the ball with Sky watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports I'm prepared to edit and I can't well, do, it then. Again. do it then what about your start to the game I was, it wasn't bad was it <laughs> why should an honest answer be a mistake how can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone why should he <laughs> welcome along football show coming at you Pat Nevin is with us good evening hello Good evening, how are you doing, Joe? Yeah, very well, very well. Champions League knockout stages draw has been made. Liverpool, Real Madrid, uh, Chelsea, I know you were at Stamford Bridge yesterday. Chelsea have Dortmund, Spurs have Serie A champions, AC Milan, Man City. They are rewarded for cruising through the group stages, they get Leipzig. Bayern Munich uh, punished for cruising through the group stages, they get PSG. So that will all happen on the 14th and 21st of February and then Europa League. Uh, I guess uh, a glamour tie, but probably a moment where both clubs reflect on where they once were. Barcelona against Manchester United where it catches the eye in the Europa League. So I guess Liverpool-Real Madrid is the one that jumps out. I did hear, uh, and it was from a Liverpool fan admittedly, potentially uh, clutching at straws, but I did hear the theory that Liverpool are playing better against better teams right now, so maybe this is no bad thing. Um <clears throat> They would change it if they could, let's be fair. <laughs> it wasn't the one they wanted. Um, but it's not impossible. I mean, Liverpool on their day, and they had, you know, they've had periods when they've been on their day, uh, certainly against Spurs, there was certainly periods, although they did get a lot of help there. Um, you know, it should be a, it's a glamour tie, it's a cracker of a tie. <clears throat> Real Madrid won't fancy either. You know, they wouldn't want that either. But then Real Madrid were in the position of, you know, <laughs> they, they had quite a few ties that they could have got that were bad. But... Now, there's always one that lands not well. Uh, the four teams, you look at Chelsea, got lucky. Spurs got mega lucky. I know it sounds, you know, AC Milan, all that stuff. Yeah, wow. No, that, that's not the same Milan. Absolutely not. And Spurs are well capable of doing that. And I, I really do feel they're kind of dark horses to go quite far in that, that tournament. Uh, Spurs, I don't know what their odds are just now. N- not to win it, but maybe to get to the final. Um, I, honestly, I'd, I'd be looking there. <laughs> I know that sounds really odd to say, but there's this strange thing going on with Spurs. Um, I was over in Marseille uh, last week to see them play, and they, they, they played terrible in the first part, half, but really well in the second half. The point is, see when they've got everybody fit, particularly, you know, Kulosevsky's come back now, that makes a difference. Son's going to be a wee while, but he'll be back round about the time of those games coming up. Um, they've got Richarlison, he'll be coming back as well. And they've got Kane. And because they've got that far in, they've got, in the Champions League, they'll buy some more players as well. So watch out for them. Um, so I I think that's a brilliant, brilliant yeah. draw for Spurs. And I think they'll be delighted. Um, and of course, Man City, you know, Leipzig, that's a cracker of a draw for them. So, yeah, the one that sticks out is Liverpool. Um, I'm, I'm going to wait because I keep on seeing Liverpool. And then after I see them, I think, right, I know what I'm thinking about them now. And then they change again. They have a stinker or have a cracker. At the start of the season, I saw them 9-0 winners and thought, oh, they're back. And then they had a stinker. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I want to look at this. Uh, so I'm going to see them uh, next, this weekend coming as well. So we have a real good look at, you know, if it's just uh, are they being the flat track bullies or are they actually quite capable of, you know, you know, beating the good teams, as you say, that their fans feel they are. 
Spurs and Liverpool, two of the more interesting teams just now. So we might hone in on that game yesterday. Andrei Shevchenko uh, gave an amazing interview yesterday in the Sunday Times to David Walsh. And it was uh, wide ranging, but ultimately focused on the situation in Ukraine. And he was remembering coming home from a football tournament as a 14 year old from Moscow in 1991. And when he left, he was in the USSR. And when he came home, train station, it was Ukraine and there were flags being waved and talked about even for the Euro 2000 qualifiers. I hadn't remembered, uh, but it, they, they had to sleep in the Ukrainian embassy in Moscow because they weren't considered safe. And he was talking about the current conflict and, you know, his mother's health has rapidly declined with the stress of everything. And, and eventually after, you know, sleeping and fearing rocket strikes every night, they've managed to get the family out and they're in Italy. Anyway, that's a, a roundabout mention. It's worth uh, reading that piece. But David Walsh seemed to meet Shevchenko at a Wentworth Golf Club where Harry Kane was. And Shevchenko said to Kane, it must have been after the Marseille game, you know, well done last night, got the win, great stuff. And Kane said, you should have seen us in the first half. Uh, and, and that notion, you should have seen us in the first half, that could pretty much, <clears throat> excuse me, that could pretty much sum up the Spurs season thus far. Uh, small enough sample size, but in their last six games, they've conceded the first goal in the first half. They have scored three goals in the first half. They scored 11 in the second half. They seem, and and this is the Conte question, they seem to be coming out of the traps in the braced position as opposed to in the try-to-win-the-game position. Um, they, they seem to be playing, and Massive is a classic example of it. I think they, they, they play Conte-like when they come out. They're, they're very safe, they're, very secure, they're, they're quite defensive and negatively minded. They lose a goal and then they become Spurs. And he allows them to become Spurs. It's, it's, I mean, I, mean, I couldn't believe how, I was going to say how long it took Conte to change it. Conte couldn't change it. He was sitting beside us up in the stands in Marseille. But it took the entire half. And they could have been out of it. They could have been finished. Um, but they came out and started the second half, changed the system, um, little tweaks here and there. But that, that's, that's all it needed. And I'm being surrounded by this at the moment. Everywhere I go, I'm seeing teams that are desperate to play three at the back. And then when it's not working, changing it. I mean, Chelsea do see me do it all the time. But um, it happened in like game after game that I went to. I was at the Man United, uh, Chelsea-Man United game. They had a three at the back, Chelsea, and went to four and got better. Spurs did the same, went to four and got better. Chelsea at Brighton, they were five, three at the back. I was going to say five at the back. They weren't, they were three at the back. There was nobody else there. And they changed at halftime, and they were better. Really weird, mm. you know, like they're desperate as if to not to go for this three stroke five at the back. But as soon as it, it seems to be failing, you go go behind, you think, Oh, sod it, I'm going to go and attack then. I'll go and allow another player in midfield. And it's it's one of those ones where it was the fashion for a while and it was working quite well for a while. But see, when you look at it now, it's just not there, it's not there. It, it used to work, Conte used to win leagues with that system, you know. There's lots of managers that have done well with it, right? But look at it now. It's basically 4-3-3. Yeah, everyone's doing a version of 4-3-3, and it's being successful. So um, I, th- I think it's the Conte's trying to make them the Conte team that he wants, but it doesn't suit them. And then they go, let off the leash, and off they go. And they're much, much better. And so does Conte just have to face the writing on the wall here? Um I th- I actually do suspect. Now, Conte actually did quite a few times. He, I remember him changing it in various teams that he's been at, and he has gone for it back. It's not his, not his favourite, but he has done it sometimes. But he only does it when he completely trusts his centre halves. 
and it doesn't obviously okay <laughs> for obvious you know, reasons yesterday <laughs> for very very obvious reasons um so if you've got two center backs and they're really good you, you trust them yeah go for it and it's it's really nice to see that i watched uh, Leicester the other day doing that really well really well just saying no no we kind of like what we've got here um we, we believe in these two at the back um and you know, and, and kind of left them 2v2. You know, the way Liverpool used to do it quite a lot mm-hmm. with Van Dijk and Matic or whoever, which they can't really do as much just now. So I think Conte will do that, but he will be scouring the planet to get the right centre-back in uh, in the January transfer window. And if he does that, I think that opens up uh, an absolute box of chocolates for him yeah. because then he can get one more attack-minded player on that pitch and suddenly they're a different team. On 5-3-2 uh, generally, so I was listening to Gary Neville talking after the game yesterday and he was on uh, firmer footing here talking 5-3-2 than B in sports in Qatar, I would say, and Ian Hislop was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so uh, he was making the point that even as a player, his favourite system at Old Trafford to play against was 5-3-2. He said, we saw that coming, we rubbed our hands, it was so simple. Beckham and Giggs pinned back their full-backs, their wing-backs, and with only three players in their midfield, they could never cover the width of the pitch. So either me or Dennis Irwin, always the outball. And I remember even making this point uh, last season when Man City played Manchester United and Cancelo had about a thousand touches because United went 5-3-2 and surrendered the pitch. And so again yesterday, he was looking at that game and he said, Andy Robertson realised straight away, this is the game. You know, they're, they're pinned back. I'm going to have so much space. So... There is obviously a really inherent uh, weakness in that 5-3-2 system that you're, you're kind of giving the game to the fullbacks. And I would kind of think, well, geez, if there's two fullbacks I don't want to give the game to, it's probably Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. So my question is, what's Conte thinking there? Well, there is no correct system. This is, this is the thing, right? There, sure. is, there is, because if you're playing, say, 4-3-3 or whatever, a diamond, whatever, against that, right, you have got one strength, but you better make sure you've got good or your best or better players in those positions. Because if you don't, you actually then will lose it again. It can be twisted on top of you. So if see if you've got fullbacks that aren't great at crossing the ball, which, to be fair, not all of them are. We think of the ones that are great. Then you get the ball there, you think, fine, have it. <laughs> you know, mm. You're not great at it. You're not going to cause us that much problem. We've got another centre-back in there. We'll deal with that all day long. And that's the kind of thinking. I played for years 5-3-2 with the Scottish national team. That was always a system that they played um, and they thought that was positive. Uh, and, I, and I understand we think about it. Good managers in that situation, if they are wedded to it, they just make it 5-4-1 and then you've got two yeah. are wide and kill off those defenders coming in. So, but that's it's t- tiny, tiny wee change like that. You make it 5-4-1, you bring somebody back into midfield, then the two wide midfielders kill that space that yes. you're talking about. Right, so... It's, it's kind of, it's, it's an arms race. It's always an arms race, right? And it's, there's never ever a simple one. That's why, oddly enough, of all people, Potter's the one I find dead interesting just now because he changes it all the time, every single game, every single system because he's reacting to all the systems. And that's great as long as you're winning. <laughs> but if you're not, mm. it's a classic. You don't know your best team. So uh, I, if you know something that's worked for you, and everybody, and I don't care what your business is, you could be, you could be a commentator, a footballer, you could work in carpentry. If you know what has worked for you for, you for 10 years, you tend to kind of like it and you stick with it and you know its strengths. You then go out of that comfort zone. They all know the different systems, but they know 
what has worked for them really well. And it has. It's worked for Conte. And he'd rather not go out of it. But I suspect that he knows he probably has to. But he'll only do it, A, when he's pushed, which is when you're a goal down or so, or B, when he's got centre-backs in where he can think, yeah, I've got the ones I want. I can leave that now. Yeah. Well, we'll watch that dynamic. I mean, it is quite interesting when... A year on from taking the job, they're now Champions League knockout stages as opposed to Europa League conference and their top four credentials look sound and he's getting booed at half time. So uh, to be continued. Kulisevsky back, is, it feels big there. It, big win for Liverpool as well. You know, suddenly they're within seven points of the top four with a game in hand. Are there signs of uh, real life there or are, are still as uh, unsure as ever about Liverpool at the moment? I, 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 you don't... Rule them out. You can't rule them out from getting top four. Yeah, and I wouldn't for a second. Um, I think it's going to be tough, but you know, it's going to be tough for everybody else. I mean, as anyone else, apart from Arsenal, who we could go on to in a moment, yeah. a moment I'm sure. Apart from Arsenal and Manchester City, there, there isn't really anyone else. Spurs are a bit up and down, but because they've got Conte there, they will almost certainly grind it out. And I've felt that since the start of the season, and I've kind of still not changed with that. For whatever ups and downs there are, and you know, it can be a bit cringy at sometimes when you think, oh, don't be so negative, mate. You know, you're you are third in the league, you are you know doing well in the Champions League. Um, but the other position, Man United going around, Newcastle are absolutely capable of carrying on what they're doing just now because what they've got behind them just now is fantastic, and of course they are going to be stronger probably after the, the the transfer window as well. Mm. So for Liverpool, yeah, it's, they're capable of doing it. It's not a stick-on, but it wouldn't surprise you it's in the slightest if they could go on a little bit of a run now. They, they got a bit of help at the weekend there, without a doubt. But um, I think if they can put away, as it's Southampton next week, if we can put mm. them away and go into the break and maybe only three-ish points off it, you know, uh, I, th- I think they can be really quite comfortable come back. Remember, a number of their players won't be at the World Cup, yeah. you know, there are some players that some teams that are going to be wrecked by the World Cup. I'm not sure they're going to be as bad. Which was your favourite Salago? Um, well, the second dink, obviously. The dink's better. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, Pat Nevin loved a dink. I do. You, you set me up for that one. You absolutely set me up for that. <laughs> Actually, fun enough, before we go any further, we need just one thing I want to mention to you. Um, I think it was you, and my apologies if it wasn't you a few weeks ago. I, I told you about a player who was my new kind of favourite-ish player and I said I'd only seen him for 20 minutes <laughs> and it's the lad uh, Matoma uh, down at Brighton. I don't know if you've seen him yet. Um, he scored um, with a header at the back post um, but they did an analysis this week, finally, huh. on him and um, actually did, and it was, I think it was Danny that did it. Um, and honestly, I think they've figured it out now. I'd only seen it for 20 minutes, but you, just the movement. He was doing things that I've, very few others have done for many, many years. Mm. Vision on the ball. He played this beautiful ball, even two, was it two weeks ago, the Chelsea Brighton game, uh, whatever everyone talked about the brilliant, brilliant finish. And I'm thinking, that pass that he just played there, if De Bruyne plays it, you'd go, wow. Mm. So um, definitely, I mean, I think, I, can't, I don't need to say keep your eye on Matoma, because everyone knows now. But I mentioned him after 20 minutes and just, and I talked to a Japanese journalist. I was so interested in him. I talked to a Japanese journalist who said he's a, technically the best player we've ever produced. Wow. And I'm like, oh, that's like, I thought it was quite good. Um, so we'll see if he carries on. It, it looks to me as if he's extra special. So Stamford Bridge yesterday, you were there for the Arsenal game. If you, what, being at the ground, I mean, it's been the most extraordinary 12 months there. 
wouldn't be surprised if uh, the fan base and just the club at large is almost trying to catch up with where they find themselves. Anything different in the atmosphere, the general mood music around the club that strikes you? Um, it's quite confused. I think <laughs> say that much. Yeah. Um, you know, with with Tuchel, they they didn't expect him to go. Um, they was even much loved. Uh, they kind of like, you know, Graham Potter. They, they like him as a bloke. You can't you can't not like him as a bloke because he's so honest. There are concerns. There's, there's doubt. No doubt. There's concerns. But every single fan base has concerns about every single manager. Um, he is talking about bigger picture, taking a step back, looking at it. It's going to take a while. Um, and the Americans are very very keen to say look, they're going to do it their own way. And, and a very, even from tiny things from inside the club they are very, very noticeably going to do it very, very differently. If that very, very differently goes on to the level of if Graham Potter finishes mid-table, are they going to stick by him? I don't know the answer to that. I really don't know the answer to that. Because that's the uh, claim but, they made at the start of the season in, in very well-briefed pieces, that we are going for a more holistic approach. And if you thought we sacked Tuchel and that was, oh, this is a continuation of the ruthless Abramovich approach. It's not that. We've identified a holistic manager who's going to build a culture and he is going to survive if they don't make the top four. That line was in the piece and it was it was, it was was very clearly in there and I still don't know if I believe them. Um, time, was, time will tell. Yeah. I mean, they've said it, they've clearly said it. It is very, very hard to do that if there is a, a, a dip. And there's, there's a, every possibility. It could be because... Chelsea were hammered 1-0 by Arsenal. Right. Arsenal the better side by a long, long way. Um, they, they they created very, very little. There was a real lack of energy in the group. Um, and Arsenal just looked fantastic. I mean, all over the pitch, what great. You know, players who you thought were okay before, like Xhaka, looks like... I was going to, I was, I'm not going to say world-class. And he just looks like a very, very good player now, right? But party, he looked amazing. He was immense. He just destroyed that midfield there. And anywhere, I mean, he read the game beautifully as well. And just all over the place, they looked like they looked younger and livelier. And it's just a thing you see with your team now, now and again. You think, oh, you looked a wee bit leggy there, you know, that as a as a group. And it goes away sometimes. I mean, we've watched Liverpool go through this, and they sometimes come out the other end of it. But you're watching Arsenal now, and there's been a couple of little dips. I was at their game against Leeds a couple of weeks ago, and they had a terrible second half. Mm. Um, but they still seem to be able to drag it through. But as for um, Chelsea, it's going to be one incredibly interesting period. Um, they're dying for this World Cup. They're the only people I know who are now happy that the World Cup's happening in the middle of the season. They need this break, because he's going to have a period of time, Potter, He's not really had time to really get his head up because of had a game every three days. Yeah, I think he'll make a lot of changes in January. I, I mean, a lot of changes in January. Um, I think a lot of people will go out. Maybe even some big names will, will go, um, and he'll bring a good number of them, the new names in. Um, he's also got that other thing that, he's, that people do forget. I mean, they've got N'Golo Kante who's been out for a while. I mean, what a, a miss that guy is. But the big thing. You take out Reese James of that team and you take out uh, Chilwell. I hammered them last season. They were brilliant with them two in the team. They got injured and it was a lesser season. Exactly the same things happened again with both of them. And they are, I know they're fullbacks or wingbacks, but they are unbelievably important to what Chelsea create. So will they stick by the manager? Well, we'll find out because it gets tough. 
and it gets particularly tough. If the fans do turn on the ownership, and by the way, Chelsea fans generally don't do that. They really generally don't do that. But if they did turn on the ownership, then the manager won't last. So if I'd really stick my neck out, I think he'll last. Mm. I think they'll stick them. And I've, I don't know. I'm like you. I'm not convinced. I'm not sure. But if I, I had to, you know, put a bet on it one way or the other, I think they'd stick on with him if he was fifth, sixth, seventh, um, in the hope that he does build that thing next year. After two years, I'm not so sure. Yeah. But I, I think he'd stick longer than most managers get. Uh, Arsenal, looking at the fixture list, are likely going to re-emerge on Stephen's day as top of the table Arsenal. So nobody saw that coming start of the season. When they click, they're beautiful. And, and there's a resilience about them now that maybe people didn't think they had. It does look, though, like beyond their first 11-12, there's a real drop-off. Um, how sustainable is it for those 11 to keep going? Um, I, w- I, w- I love that you always ask the questions. that I th- We don't set this up, by the way. I was kind of hoping you'd ask that question. Okay. <laughs> but but it, it is the only question. I mean, I wouldn't take too much credit. It is the only question in Arsenal right now because I think that 11 have proven themselves. Um, right, so one, you've got to get a wee bit lucky with injuries. You look around and a lot of other teams have had a lot uh, bigger problems over, you know, Liverpool went through a terrible time of injuries a while back. Um, if Chelsea have, as I say, the Fafanas and all the rest of it. Yeah, less so with Arsenal. But they're a bit younger, generally. Mm. And it does make a massive difference. Um, they have had a couple. And then, of course, when he's had to think outside the box, playing those four centre-backs along the back line, that's actually really... Well, for a while he was, he's got Zinchenko back in there now. But that's quite... A, outside the box thinking from him because that's not how a pep team would play. You know, they, they wouldn't just put four big centre-backs there. He wouldn't consider that. Um, and I don't think he would like... He likes doing that and he liked doing that, but he didn't have Tierney fully fit. He didn't have Zinchenko, so he put Tomiyasu in there at left full-back and it kind of worked for him, but he's got quite good cover there. But I do think it's old-fashioned stuff. They finally got a couple of good centre-backs. I mean, how long, how long, how long have they been shouting and bawling for that? But then you look further forward and the creative players in general, they're young. They're young. They don't get injured as much. It's just, and they don't lose energy as much. Um, and they are able to play at that extraordinary tempo. And they, they, they honestly, they, as I said, they made Chelsea look really leggy, really old is pushing it a bit, but yeah. they, they looked older, a lot older than that Arsenal team. And that was the entire game. And I expected some sort of drop-off by the end of the game. Didn't happen, really, for Arsenal. Just kept on that that pace up, that closing people down, high up the pitch. Um, you know, Manchester City, when, they at, when they are at the best, do exactly the same. And that youth will do that. Um, when one or two... Here's a question for you. Who's the one they can't afford to lose? I was thinking about this as well. I don't know. I honestly don't know. There was times there's... Oh, if they lose Odegaard yeah. or, you know, if they lose Party or Martin. It's not. I don't actually think there is one that they can't afford to lose because it is a group thing. Absolutely is a group thing. That said, Odegaard's pretty special. And yeah, that's why I mentioned him first. Yeah, he, is he really a lovely, is. A lovely player. I mean, certain players, you just watch them and they cruise. I watched him and I watched Madison at the weekend for Leicester. And uh, I got a stitch up. In the new British newspapers last last week, another one of them ones, where they printed something that I didn't actually say. 
And that used to annoy me, but it doesn't bother me anymore because uh, there was a grain of truth in it. And the grain of truth was I'd said, uh, I was I was talking about uh, Raheem Sterling, and he's, he's just not playing well. Yeah. And, and you, know, you can't pretend he is. And I was talking on the BBC, and then it was lifted. And by the time it got to the newspaper, it has gone through three different versions. And it was now, I'm calling for him not to go to the World Cup, right? I don't care who goes to the World Cup. I'm Scottish. So, um, and, and that's the way it's, uh, you, you look at it and think, Madison, would you take him before Raheem? Maybe. The, I mean, on the basis of this weekend, for sure. What is the deal with Sterling this season? I'm really, I thought he was the best player Chelsea had at the start. Like, really, really good, lively, sharp. Um, he's been playing out of position, I feel rotten for him, because he's been asked to do a wing-back position. So, He's getting the ball. See, when you get the ball and you've got 30 yards to go, it's great. See, when you get a ball and you get 70 yards to, 70 yards to go, it's, it's hard. And I, I feel really, really bad for him because he actually gets more abuse than just about any other player I know uh, or has over the years. And I, I love his attitude generally and he keeps on coming back. He's, he's actually, a str- although he looks lightweight, he's a he's strong, strong personality as well. Mm. Some desperate for him to do well, and it's nothing got to do with him playing with Chelsea or whoever he plays with or England. You know, it doesn't matter. I really want him to do well, but you can't pretend someone's doing well when they're not. So I, I would have to add on top of it, he doesn't look confident. He looks, there are players, and I've never quite understood this, and I, and I haven't, I really haven't understood it. I can hardly remember it ever happening. When I've got on the ball and I'm an attacking wide player, and I don't think I can do you. I don't care who you are. Mm. I just never felt it. Now, I might not be able to get by you, but I, I think I can, mm. and I will have a go. Mm. And then I've watched a number of players, and you, it's happening with Raheem now. He doesn't look as if he, he wants to do it. He'll play the simple ball. He'll, he'll, t- he'll just take the foot off the gas and pass it back or pass it sideways. Remember, I used to watch, um, there was Cam Hudson Doyle do it for a while, and I was thinking, it doesn't matter. Go on five times, you only need to get by once. Yeah. Make a go. You won. It's, it's really simple odds. They're all in your favour. So don't stop doing it. You know, just keep on doing it until eventually it comes off. And keep on trying. But see, when you stop trying, then there's no point in really, you know, pushing it because or having you there instead of someone like Madison or Grealish or whatever, because they're trying it yeah. and they will have a go. So I, I, I desperately, I want. I was, I mean, I was. I'd kind of stitched up as if I was having a, a go at Raheem. I wasn't. And afterwards, I'm thinking, please score. And other people have thought, you know, have a nightmare, so I'm proved right. No, please, please score. Please do something well. But it's just not quite happening for the lad. And uh, I, I feel really bad for him. But you look at someone like um, Saka, who's playing, or a whole bunch of players that say, uh, say Crystal Palace or Matoma. They all just go at people, don't they? Yeah. got to do it. you got to do it if you're in that position. Because if you're not doing it, A, somebody else will... Or B, you might as well just go and get some big lump who's a big guy you can get in the back post there because they need to add something. Well, it was, it's, you know, you've got to buy a lottery ticket and it's what we were saying about Grealish early in the season. He seems to have started to go with people a bit more. We're going to take a very short break. Pat's down with us. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. Back in one sec. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more Live only on Sky Sports This is News Talk
Hey, welcome back. Pat and Evan is still with us. We are uh, turning our attention to, well, in due course, we'll come to Villa Park. But first, uh, Newcastle are third in the table. Southampton won Newcastle four. Ralph Hasanuddal has been unceremoniously sacked. Four years in the job, so he had a good innings. And he is managerial casualty number five of the season thus far in the Premier League. Scott Parker. That feels like about five years ago, but Scott <laughs> Parker. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, of course. Bruno Lage. Uh, Stephen Gerrard. Now Ralph Hasanuddal is uh, gone. Uh, four years in charge. His points per game has halved, really, since uh, March of this year. He's taken half the number of points from 26 games that he had taken in the previous 26 games. So, uh, went off a cliff a touch. I mean, the the striking thing about Hasenhull, uh, Pat, is that three of his staff were sacked against his wishes uh, not so long ago. I mean, that is almost tantamount to constructive dismissal. I don't I, like the writing was on the wall there and they've let the thing linger on a touch. So uh, what do we say of Hasenhuttle and his uh, managerial stint at Southampton? Um, it seems like a hell of a long time, doesn't it? You know, Four to years, actually yeah. last that. Remember, he survived that 9-0. Um, and considering the limited uh, funds that Southampton have got in comparison with others, um, he kind of... the old. And time's going by, they're sort of, oh, only about four-ish years. That's not... Like, yeah, in the Premier League, that's absolutely amazing yeah. for any team out with, you know, a team that's winning things all the time. So he's done an incredible job. Remember, they are in the Premier League. You know, they are actually there. They're one of... When you start looking at the numbers, you know, the teams that are highly unlikely to go down. So is it six or eight? Six, certainly, but maybe eight are highly unlikely to go down most seasons, right? Yeah. So your your percentage chances of going down each season are really quite high, whoever you are, because someone's going to go down. Um, and three out of that group below are going to go down and you keep away from it. And especially if you're a, a club with more limited finances, I think he did a pretty decent job going that far, but they just crept into the, um, the, the relegation places there. And as soon as they crept into it, I think they were waiting. I think you're spot on. I think they, they realised that it's going to be a danger all season and they just went to lift the place again. And that's sometimes what these clubs do. All right, lift it a wee bit, we'll bring somebody else in and change it. It, it doesn't always make the greatest of differences. Um, but I don't think the Southampton fans will be you know, crying painful tears over it for a huge, long, long time because mm. they would much rather not be in this position. But I think he can actually walk away with his head pretty high. Yeah, okay. Nathan Jones from uh, Luton is who Southampton have identified. And to be fair, they do have a track record of picking out some good managers. So we'll the watch reason, that. The reason why they did it, you're absolutely right. They were going to get rid of him. He was going. He was going. But what they had to do is isolate him a little bit so that when... And they had to go and have time to go and find the next guy. Mm. And well, so while they're doing that and figuring it out and know who they want to walk in, by the time he's really fed up, it's an easy job. They can get, he, he wants out. He's desperate to get out because he's he's been left isolated. So no, I, I know why he did it. It's quite brutal, <laughs> impressive. Uh, and New, Newcastle third. So uh, you know this is pretty impressive, really. Jack Relish has given the kiss of life to Almiron, and uh, all around him, Eddie Howe seems to have the Midas touch. It's quite interesting. The discussion around Newcastle over the last while has been. Is this Eddie Howe has done a really good job or is this down to spending a quarter of a billion euro? And like, of course, the answer is both. You know, you get, eat, eat, on either front, if, you, if one's not working, then the other doesn't negate that. So um, I think Howe is doing a good job. 
The whole thing leaves me cold, I have to say. I found what's happened here an absolute scandal. Um, but you have to acknowledge that they have spent the money, considerably large amount of it, they've spent it well. And how is getting things working for these um, these new arrivals and some who were there before uh, and, and weren't playing very well. So they kind of like in, in year one here, full year of the Saudis, they look like a really good chance to finish top four. This this thing is moving fast. Um, yeah, but like, we all know the caveats that you always have to say. So you've said them also. Yeah, we get, we get that. The other stuff is he played long stuff in the midfield <laughs> during the game there. I mean, yes, they spent a lot of money, but Willock is playing there. You know, Almiron, he couldn't hit a ban- barn door with a banjo. Yeah. Honestly, he, all these things, you think you have to take all those and it's the manager's done a really good job of, of putting it all together. Yes, he spent money. Uh, Gimares, he's he's special, yeah, and you have to spend money for that. Um, but Sam Maximum was already there and he's not even starting all the games at the moment. Uh, it, it feels like the beginning, but it feels like he's miles ahead of schedule. Mm. I, I honestly didn't think they would be close to you know the top four this season. And I, I, I don't think many Newcastle fans thought that as well. But I suppose it helps when you're playing along with good players, you know. And, but the manager's got to take a big, a big, big part of the, the credit for it because I, I do think when you get, I mean, Almiron. He's one of those players, kind of players, dare I say it, that I really like, but it's not, you just never think it's going to happen for, you know, because they're lovely to watch and they've got nice skills, but you need that devilment. Um, and honestly, it's extraordinary to see it. I mean, and I don't know if it was Grealish, you know, but the timing was quite funny, isn't it? Oh, listen, listen. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. Um, and I don't think anyone feels anything other than delighted for Almiron in this one. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for him because, and the, the other thing is that smells ridiculous. That smells just hilarious. Um, so you just love to see it. You love to see all the players that they've got doing well. But making other choices like burn at fullback, I mean, that, that's an Eddie Howe call. Mm. It's a big Eddie Howe call. And thinking, yeah, these things make sense now, but they wouldn't necessarily have made sense before. But he, he knows how to work it. He knows how to get the best out of players. And it's just the start of something that's going to be without even a shadow of a doubt, exceptional, you know, yeah. on the field. Uh, for all we say of where the money's come from, whatever, I have to say I'm so happy for the Newcastle fans. The nearest team to me, they have put up with such a lot of garbage for so long. I mean, I go back to Kevin Keegan's time there, and the, the teams they had, I remember playing against them, and they had Keegan, they had Chrissy Waddle, they had you know, Gaza coming through, and you're looking at them thinking, wow, that is amazing, but it never happens. It just never happens. They never win anything. And suddenly you think, this is it. They're finally, after sticking by their team for all these decades, they're very, very close to they They'll win something fairly soon in the next couple of years. Don't know what it'll be, but it'll win something. Uh, so I'm just happy for them, guys. Mm. And girls. Aston Villa uh, did a number in Manchester United. The uh, 1995 Don't Win Anything With Kids uh, last time that they beat United Villa Park which was just extraordinary that was a long time ago you just would have thought somewhere along the way they might have beaten them but no in the league uh, Unai Emery was talking about how he's a big Peaky Blinders fan so he's finding the accent uh, manageable <laughs> which is uh, he's, that, genuinely he's like yeah, it's made life much easier so um, I don't know how much credit do you give Unai Emery for what they produced I wonder um, I, I, th- I, think, I think you have to wait 
you know, because remember, United can be so incredibly up and down as well. Um, he, he did adapt it and change it a little bit, you know. And players get a lift, and they've had a wee lift. They've definitely had a little lift since uh, Gerard's gone. You can see there's a wee bit more belief about the group. I've no idea why that is. I would love to talk to those players and see why that is. You know, because I, I just always thought most people kind of liked and worked well with Steven Gerrard, but it may have been that simple thing. It looks from the outside that the Mings thing that happened might have upset the camp a little bit, and you can't upset the camp with these sorts of things. But the one thing about Steven Gerrard, his standards were so high for himself all the way through his career. And I don't mean that in a kind of glib, bland way. Movie. He was a great player and all that. No, he hated himself when he'd done something wrong. He absolutely punished himself. He pushed himself further than almost any player I know. And he was one of the best players in the world of his generation. And he, he's exactly, he wants to be exactly the same way as a manager. And some people can't stick with that. Yeah. I'll take it the wrong way. I, I, I think, I, I think you're onto something there. He, he, a very weighed down character, I would say, Stephen Jarrett. And maybe that's yeah. tough to be around as a leader. Yeah, it's there's not that much smiling. He's he's likable. Yeah, there's not a lot of smiling and there's not a lot of a buzz. As you'd say in the football team, world, you know, a buzz around the place. You like the place being light and fun, and everyone just kind of like, you know, sort of releasing you. And they had a lot of players that look capable that uh, of being attack minded or being, you know, having good vision. But they didn't look as if they were off the leash. They didn't look light. They didn't look comfortable with it. And then as soon as Stevie's gone, you know, that's suddenly allowed. And and it's it's a real, I don't think that's an abuse of Stevie Gerrard. That's a, a guy who, look, I cannot give anything other than the standards that I work by. That's who I am. Um, but maybe everyone else doesn't work that way. No. And I think I think also generationally it's quite different. There's, there's certain generations that don't want to hear that all the time. They don't want to get that all the time. Not... I don't want to abuse an entire generation. It's not like that, obviously. But, you know, the the, the levels of mollycoddling have with some players just pushed through, through the roof with one or two. And you need to be able to manage all types now. And uh, maybe Stevie wasn't capable of doing that to the level he needed to. Uh, slightly ashen-faced Luke Shaw uh, was interviewed afterwards and he said, look, we knew they'd come out, all guns firing, there'd be a lot of emotion, new manager, enthusiasm. And then he sort of trailed off because... <laughs> You know, knowing it is one thing and doing nothing about it is another. So, uh, well, the team selection was also uh, much discussed. Garnacho got the nod after his performance midweek in Europe. Danny van de Beek, you know, out of nowhere, in you go. Just his fourth Premier League start for Manchester United. Ronaldo captains the side. I mean, this was a curious little move in the Ten Hag tenure based on the last couple of weeks. Um. Yeah. <laughs> A little sign that I'm not convinced worked. Um, it's kind of odd, though, because you're watching it, and it, if I'm Cristiano, see, if I try and be Cristiano for a moment, I'm thinking, great, I'm up front. I'm a skipper. It's a big, what? With Van der Beek and Ganacho? What? <laughs> I want I want the, the strongest, most powerful, hardest-working team around with everybody, you know. And Bruno wasn't there, obviously. I think he wasn't unavailable, so... Yeah. It kind of was, he must have thought, oh, thanks. You, you throw, and of course the manager wasn't throwing that one in, but that must have felt really quite bad for um, Cristiano Ronaldo. There is that other thing where, 
I know Rash, Rashford, I actually think, is a slightly better player wide, attacking from wide, but I, I, you, you almost guess he wants to be the striker. He wants to be the main man. When he is the main man, he loves it, and he likes and he'll work hard, and he just looks like a different player when he's up there, you know, battling against people, running beyond them, and uh, he just looks a player you enjoy seeing. Um, but when he's moved out wide and Cristiano's up there, he's just a lesser figure. Yeah. And whether it's inside his head, and he said, recent interviews, he's been saying that, you know, his head wasn't in a good place for quite a long time. Yeah. Really, Sherlock? I think we all knew that. Yeah. We could see it a mile away. I remember the I remember the day I first saw it was Crystal Palace a couple of years ago, and his, his body language horrendous. I was actually worried about him. I was really quite concerned about his mental health. Mm. It was I was worried in case he was getting a wee bit depressed, because footballers suffer from depression. I was that concerned about him. Um, but it, it wasn't that. And I think he just would like to be the main man. And he mm. said to himself he was down. But when he's moved back out and Cristiano's given the, the the armband, he must think, oh, am I not going to be? Am I, am I never going to be the main man? Yeah. And I think he wants it. And look, I mean, he, he had an incredibly difficult, traumatic summer as well. So you don't know really what's going on with anybody. Uh, on Manchester United generally, the last time they scored three goals in the league... Uh, was against Man City. They just they don't score very many goals at the moment under Ten Hag. One against Villa, one against Sociedad, one against West Ham, it got them the win. One against Chelsea in that draw. They did score two against Spurs, didn't score in that nil all draw at Newcastle. One against Amanoia before that. They got two against Everton at Goodison back at the start of October. And they did score three against Amanoia and Man City in that in that week. But like they're kind of a one to two goal team at the moment. Yeah. Um and there'll be Manchester United fans listening, and my apologies if I get this wrong, but was it United that start the attack, 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 attack? Yeah. It's where I heard it most. Well, it's, right? the, it's, it's the reason Conte wasn't deemed a good enough fit for United, you know? Exactly. So that that seems, it's the DNA. It absolutely is the DNA. Um, but it doesn't feel like the group, the team. And you, But you can't do it if you've not got the personnel who are set up to do it. Um, Shaw was always one oddly enough you've got a striker and you've got three attacking midfielders behind him behind that you've got Casemiro and Eriksen and you know at their very best they are among the most fabulous players you'll see Mm. Um, I I don't think they can do it every week you know quite to that level at the age that they're at although both still extremely good but sometimes it does come from other areas like the fullbacks and Shaw isn't raiding quite the way he did when he was much younger. He, he's more uncertain about that. Dalot, I have to say, I, I think he's brilliant. He's good, yeah. Oh, he was a player. I mean, what a player. But, you know, how much creation from that sort of area. And that's kind of, in, in the game, the way it is at the moment, you're needing that from those wide areas. So you, you're wanting those guys to fly beyond the fullbacks time and time again. They're, they're kind of wingers or wide midfielders time and time again and the times I've not I've seen them and I've not seen all the games this season I have yeah. to admit um, they've not been doing anywhere near enough for them to be a team that can attack 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 so yeah I understand the, the un- and the, the other thing is there was so much dependent on Cristiano Ronaldo's goals last season and you know yeah. if he's not A playing as well not playing as often or the classic, you know, chicken and egg thing. You, you play them, you score a goal, but you still might not win because the work rate's going to be down. Um, it's it's a, it's a hard one to get around. And I think in the end, Tenag will have to get around it. And one of the things will be 
get around it without Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. That have to be one of the things. Mm. Pat, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Pat and Evan with us on this Monday evening and our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. You can watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live only on Sky Sports. This is News Talk.